to Stock Talk Podcast, where topics are covered and questions are answered across all parts of the show stock industry. Get ready to learn and laugh with your hosts, Trevor Kirkpatrick and Corey Edge. Here we go. Loving it. Living it. I'm ready for it. I, uh, I'm i glad that we've got uh, back in the pig industry. Um, taking nothing away from everybody else, but I just, I can't get enough of it, man. Can't get enough of it. Well, you're hungry for it and it's, it's what you do. And realistically, it's what I do. So, that's right. <laughs> um, that's true. I think one of the really neat things about the, uh, you know, our, our shipping industry as it stands currently, um, is getting ready to enter a 2021 season where we quite possibly could see more shows and events than we ever have. That's true. Yeah. So I'm just saying pretty cool stuff. But speaking of shows and events, Trevor. Yes. Uh, why don't you tell us what our fine folks at Walton have brewing? Yeah. So Walton webcasting folks, you guys should know this by now. Heck, we're almost approaching episode 100, which we'll get to in a minute. Um, they are everywhere where you can't be, especially in 2020 where you had to stay home and quarantine or maybe you know you had the coronavirus, you can't be around people. Well, you can still watch the show at Walton Webcasting. And if you missed it, you subscribe to the archives, get you a, much, a monthly subscription. I've got it. It's awesome. They send me reminders. It's incredible. Um, this past weekend, they were in London, Ohio, uh, which was pretty funny because they got some of the younger showmen uh, as commentators, and you got a pretty good giggle watching that show. So uh, they do awesome, high-quality videos. Uh, you truly see livestock like you've never seen it. Uh, I think they're going to the West Coast uh, the weekend after Christmas. So love our folks at Walton. Uh, On the Road with Greg has been fired back up and loving watching them. So make sure you subscribe to waltonwebcasting.com. Well, uh, I will say... Uh, I have hinted at this before, but it could be fun to watch what they do with their with videography work in 2021. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're revolutionized a lot of things, and they're go-getters and innovators. They, yeah, the best is yet to come with Walton Webcasting. I mean, seriously. Without question. So, you know what else is yet to come is... um. If you are in operation currently that has bought pigs on a platform that has been around for a little while now, I would say, Trev, wouldn't you? Just a little. Um, Showpig.com is the place to buy and sell your show pig project. You, You want to talk about a group that has untapped potential. Uh, that is still yet to be discovered, which is insane because of the thousands and thousands and thousands of pigs that they sell every year on showpig.com. Folks, if you are not merchandising your baby livestock, uh, bred females, or uh, even used livestock equipment on showpig.com, I would encourage you to check your pulse, check your marketing program, and get involved with showpig.com. Absolutely. I love this time of year. The bread guilt season is upon us. Plus, I look at all of the used livestock. It's like Goodwill, but with good quality uh, equipment. 
So, and then you can buy a bread guilt to fill the crate you just bought. I mean, it's one-stop shop. Showpig.com is the way to go. Just saying. So, Corey, before we go into our Breed em, Ship em, Show em segment, which we have a bonus guest this time to talk about some form of Champions Feed. But before we get to that, let's talk a little bit about episode 100. We're getting more and more details, and I'm getting more and more excited. So here's what's going down. For sure, I'm going to take a drive west to the new yes. house that is Taylor and Corey Edge. And we're going to set up a camera. And it is going to be an incredible multi-guest, multi-speciesed, don't care how long it goes episode. And this will be available to you on YouTube. Uh-huh. The tube that is you, as you say, Corey Edge. Well, that- we haven't done one in a while on YouTube, and I think it's I think it's uh, deservingly so for episode 100 to be on YouTube. But I... And really, we still have some guests uh, to finalize, but once we do, uh, be on the lookout for some really cool announcements. Uh, very excited. That's right. Excited. Goes live on December 30th. That is episode 100. So, Corey, we got another guest on a very brief segment to talk a little bit about the pig side of the Formula of Champions feeds. We've got Mr. Tim Traddles on with us to discuss a little bit about that. So, Tim, we've learned in other episodes that Formula of Champions uh, has a parent company of Kallenbach Feeds and is very involved in the commercial industry as well. So how does that affect Formula of Champions on the swine side of things? Yeah, Trevor, thanks for uh, having us today. Um, yeah, uh, we uh, Kallenbach Feeds and the Formula Champions line owned by the Kallenbach family um, they are in the swine industry themselves and own about 30,000 plus sows. So the advantage of that is when our nutritionists get uh, a crazy idea or if some of these sales reps come up with this crazy idea, we have our own research facility um, and hundreds of thousands of pigs that we can uh, do trials and mm. um, run some of these, the new technology and some of this, these new additives that come out on the line, on, on the uh, feed market we can test them on our own end and see if, if one, if they actually work and what kind of performance or what kind of results we can get from those. So um, the fact that we're in the pig business gives us a big, big step ahead because we can, we can test all these things ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. Now, how does this affect some of the breeders that maybe use some of those products? Um, so the breeders themselves, the nice things with that is that, you know, everyone say a, a show pig and a commercial pig are way different and they are right. But the one thing that is similar is the reproductive track. We got to get these things bred. Mm-hmm. So if we're getting 30,000 sows bred and we got some sow units that are, you know, three to 5,000 sows and they're getting 14, 15 pigs a litter, um, we try to take that technology and that, um, those chelated minerals and uh, vitamin mineral packs that we're using on the commercial side and transpose those over into our show peed line so we can get those things bred. Um, not only get, get them bred, but get good litter sizes. So in the show pig world these days, probably the most expensive cost we have anymore is semen. Mm-hmm. Um, and we want to get litters that are bigger than, than six or eight. We'd like to get 10 or 12. And more importantly, we need to have them bred when we breed them. Um, rebreeding sows two or three times. You can have the best sow in the world. If she's going to have a February litter and you're going to the Indiana State Fair, it probably isn't going to work anymore. Right. So. And we're breeding them in the heat. We're breeding them earlier and earlier, making them older and older. So 
um, if we're doing that and you're fighting heat stress and everything else, you got to have the absolute best nutrition to get these things bred so you can get those things stuck in, in August, September to have those older litters that are, that are competitive on the, on the state level and the national level. So what are some of those, uh, variables, I guess, what are some of the products, uh, that, uh, that formula of champions is kind of involved in getting some of those, uh, sows with the best nutrition, it, just in brief to explain to some of our listeners. So we have a 2100 FOC is what we call our, our sow premix. Um, it is just a hundred pound premix, pretty simple to add. Um, just corn oats from that, um, milk can make it, you can make it at home, but it's got all the goodies, the vitamins and minerals that we found the right amino acid balance to get those sows, um, cycling and then to, uh, actually settle and then settle with big litters. So, um, and then the next step after we get those things on the ground, we have a, a calm pre-starter and a calm starter. Um, and the same deal with our research facility, we're able to test uh, sweeteners and different things, um, prebiotics, probiotics, enzymes, uh, essential oils are huge, um, and they are very important. They're also very expensive, mm-hmm. so getting the right blend of those is very important to keep stools right. Um, you know, these show pigs, we want to treat them like athletes. That's the big thing. They're athletes, right? Well, pigs are becoming more like sheep every day. Like, you look at them wrong, and they either want to die they want to come up lame. They want to go off feed. Right. So, you know, the next step after the calm pre-starter and starter that works very well that we do with our own commercial pigs of getting those things to get creep earlier. Um, and then when we get them weaned, that they're not going backwards, that they're going forward because we're making them older, but we try to sell them even earlier and earlier. So mm-hmm. um, we want to get those things on creep, on weaned, um, on feed rolling and then get ready to get them things pictured as soon as we can to get them online and get them sold. Absolutely. So, um, we have a, a pig popper product, uh, 23 protein, seven fat that works very well on those baby pigs to get them things, uh, photo ready or sale ready. Um, and then we got the complete line after that, the 20, the 16, the 18, uh, pellets and meals, both that, you know, every company's got. Um, but we try to focus on the gut health. Um, that's our big thing. Um, as I said, we're trying to make these things athletes. And to feed them, we want to keep the gut right. Um, if the gut's right and then we keep them on feed, we go to shows, they fill up there, but then they handle the stress and they come home and they don't go backwards. So we got families that want to show every weekend, you know, two, three shows a weekend, double headers. And if they can't handle the stress, if their gut isn't right, their stool's not right, they're just not going to perform. And I, I don't mean by growing in terms of perform, but just being pigs that want to get out and and drive and cooperate and aren't just crabby. You see a lot of these big eyes, just crabby. That's the way he is. Well, it's probably because his gut isn't right. Right. Um, so even if we've got professional athletes, you know, they don't perform without the best nutrition. So we focus on gut health, um, try to keep those things healthy, growing, staying on feed, minimize stress and try to be a pig and not a, there's not a show lamb that wants to die. Become a plane. <laughs> That's exactly right. Now, where can some of our listeners go to find a little bit more information uh, about some of these products you've mentioned? So Kallenbachfeeds.com has all of our products, um, show feed and commercial feeds. Um, if you go to formulachampions.com, that would just have our show feed stuff. And then we also have our Facebook page, um, Formula Champions. So those would be the best places to, to look. Awesome. Well, I appreciate your time. And, uh, we are interested, of course, about some of these products. So thanks for uh, jumping on real quick, and we'll catch you at the next show. All righty. Sounds good. Thanks, Trevor. Corey, I do believe it is my turn this time for Read Em, Ship and Show Em. Yes, finally. 
And this one is a little different this week. And I think it was probably by request at one point in time. I, I know we mentioned talking about this. So Stephen on Facebook sends us a different one uh, for all of you who are enthusiasts about your stock show trucks. Oh, he's in the drawing too, right? That's right. Steven's in the drawing for uh, the prize pack, which we will be announcing during episode 100. That's right. Very excited for that. So this is drive one, sell one, junk one, Trevor. Okay. And here's the rules. Here's the rules. Uh, if you, if you pick drive one, this is your daily driver, your work truck or pull a trailer across the country will not leave you stranded. Perfect truck. Okay. Okay. Uh, sell one, um, nice real nice vehicle just probably not reliable enough uh or you know um just maybe not your style but you can still get a little money out of it and junk one you're taking that thing to the junkyard never to be driven again you get no money out of it okay okay all three of these trucks are brand new totally tricked out about a hundred thousand dollar trucks okay these are just given to you, no strings attached. Okay. Okay. Our folks at Brad Hell Ford will be happy about the first entry and drive one, sell one, junk one. First entry is an Ford F350 Limited. Uh huh. Okay. Uh, next one is a Chevy and or GMC. Same difference. 3500 High Country and or Denali, whichever one you pick. Mm. Uh, top of the line, Chevy GMC. Or. Ram 3500 Laramie Longhorn Mega Cab. Gee whiz. So drive I, one, sell one, junk one. Goodness. All right. Well, I would like to have them all because I definitely don't own any of those. I might have to talk to Brad Howe Ford for that. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not driving a hundred thousand dollar truck. Anyway, uh, so it's more of a, a one of those like, you know, what brand do you ride for? And I'm not one of those. Like, I, I, I don't have a preference at yeah, all. I mean, the last two trucks you have owned have been different brands. So Yeah, yeah. My very first truck ever was a GMC Sierra, and uh, my dad had a F-150. I now drive a Ram 1500. So, like, yeah, I, I don't don't care. Not a brand, not a brand guy. And I'm not, I'm not really a, uh, I, I'm, I'm not really, like, Oh well, the Chevy Denali has you know, or has like the brand new this that this that you know, or you know all that. The Limited has this and that. I don't know. So all I'm gonna say is, I think there's a lot to offer in the Ram. Now it's probably because I drive the baby version of what we're talking about, the Ram 3500 Laramie Longhorn Mega Cab. The Mega Cab thing is important to me. Lots of room, lots of power, and it's tricked out. So that's gonna be that's gonna be my my driver. That's that's the drive one. That means I'm selling the Chevy, um, and of course it's gonna be tricked out. Um, <laughs> if it's worth a hundred thousand, I just paid off the truck I just drove. Drove, you know. And then no offense to to Ford and our friends at Brad Howe, but that's probably the one uh, I'm going to junk. I don't know why. Uh, just, just because that's my third option. And um, yeah, I guess that uh, that's what I'm doing. 
just because I'm used to the Ram. That's why I'm going to drive. Uh, like Chevys in the in the past, and I like Fords too. So all of the four people are probably going to hate me now, but that is uh, drive, junk, and sell, Mr. Edge. Well, here's what I'm going to do. Uh, if it's me, um, I think because uh, if you uh, if you have this Ram 3500, Laramie Longhorn Mega Cab, which the Laramie Longhorn uh, additions are absolutely beautiful on the inside. Mm-hmm. But if you think about Ram Dodge Rams, uh, the the side mirrors do something um, that could take the value of it from a hundred thousand to like one hundred and fifty thousand. If you take those side mirrors and flip them up, <laughs> get the get the little uh, you know uh, conversion there on the side mirrors. Yes. You're easily talking about another fifty thousand dollars, and uh, I think if you sell sell that truck with those mirrors uh, pulled up, you're probably going to find some sucker that has no idea uh, <laughs> what they're doing to spend some extra money on that. So that is the sole reason I'm going to sell the Ram. I'm probably going to drive the F three fifty, and and I, yeah, man, that Chevy Jeep. Those are nice trucks. They're all nice trucks. I I think I'm probably just going to uh, probably going to. You know, I'm going to ride for the brand Brad Hal Ford. I'm going to drive. I'm going to drive the uh, Chevy, uh, or sorry, I'm going to drive the F350. I'm going to sell the Ram F3500 uh, with the side mirrors flipped up, and then <laughs> I'm going to uh, junk the Chevy. I love fantasy. it. Tow that invisible trailer. Yes. Oh yes. man, yeah. N- nothing against Ford. I have nothing against Ford, but I don't know why. I, it, Sounds I, like you do. Sounds I, like you do, Trev. I know. I I, I would never junk. One given to me with no strings attached. Uh, hell yeah, I'm taking uh, that. I am so excited for Breed One Ship One Show One next week. It's absolutely incredible, very creative, and perfectly timed for Christmas. I I seriously, <laughs> um, I want to give this person a prize pack just because of how good it is. So be on the lookout next week for Breed One Ship One Show One. It's a heater. It's an absolute heater and going to generate probably quite a bit of debate if i had to guess Trev. i would think so and uh we'll both have to answer it but it is a good one christmas edition hey are you going to do a poem this year again you know i was thinking about poems i mean um, the one last year is pretty good and we, we can we can push it out there again but i was thinking about that that was pretty pretty awesome last year well i'll just uh i'll make it an annual tradition then i'll uh i'll i'll, I'll do another christmas poem sweet okay but uh, I got to think of a different one because I did Night Before Christmas kind of theme last year. So we'll we'll come up with something else. That's right. I like it. Well, uh, we've got a lot to be thankful for. And one of those is another sponsor we have, Fierce Threads and Big Paul Lifestyle Company. The sponsor of Hats Off. We uh, do a lot, a lot of work with them. And they are incredible people with incredible products. Folks, if you're looking for materials to put your brand on, you go to Fierce Threads. If you're looking for livestock-centered apparel, you go to Big Paul Lifestyle Company. No debate. We love mm-hmm. our folks at Fierce Threads and the Big Paul Lifestyle Company. They're innovative. They're in the forefront. What a what an awesome Christmas gift. We're, we're narrowing it down, folks. They can't ship them out incredibly fast, so get on it. So, Corey, what you got? Well, this week, I've had a hard time deciding where my hat's going to go off uh, to or what it's going to go off to. But I really determined that uh, you know my hat goes off to the person 
who has a snack drawer in their office. <laughs> oh, I got a uh, store. Whether you have a whether you have a show barn office or a uh, or just your office at, at work, if you do not have a snack drawer, um, we are not in the same category of people. <laughs> so my hat goes off to you. Uh, do not feel bad if you have a snack drawer in your office. Not at all. I know I don't. So funny story. Uh, I know Emily usually eavesdrops on uh, our episodes. She has no idea what we talk about usually, but she'll know this one. Um, she has a coworker that has a snack drawer. Emily has a snack drawer. It's it's a thing, you know. You got to have a snack drawer in your office. Well, no doubt. Other things that really like a snack drawer goes squeak and has has a little tail. Oh no! So yeah, drawer opened on one of her coworkers, and there is there is evidence of that mouse hanging out in the snack drawer. So you know, protocol goes into place. Got to take care of the squeaky little mouse. And, uh, yeah, so be careful. If you do have a snack drawer, which I encourage, just make sure you uh, maybe encase it in, in something did, mouse-proof. Yeah, did they did they have to ban snack drawers because they had a mouse problem? I don't know. I'll have to ask her. I, I don't. Oh, I don't, boy. That would be a travesty. Yeah, yeah. Banning a snack drawer? You can't do that. Uh, no, I, I think she's no. here. Hey, Em, are you allowed to have a snack drawer at work? Okay, yes, they're allowed to have snack drawers. Okay, good. Stock well, Talk Nation, all is good. I was going to be concerned because, uh, you know, I don't know. First of all, what kind of stuff are you putting in your snack drawer that you're allowing that smell to escape to a rodent? <laughs> maybe maybe this person needs to be talked to just a little bit more about how they keep their food. Well, um, in, in, all, in, in, hey, in all respect, it could have happened to anybody. It may have just been the location of the desk or, you know, yeah, whatever. That's very true. Maybe, maybe it's really a building maintenance problem for allowing mice into the building. It could be. That could be. That's that's our number one issue, I feel like. But yeah. anyway, snack drawers, uh, if you got one, my hat goes off to you this week. I like it. Not really livestock related, but, you know. Hey, nah, it's all I'm good. I'm chubby and it's Christmas time, so well, we're doing that. It's funny you say that because um, in my new role... Uh, at Ohio Farm Bureau, they've been incredibly, incredibly generous. And at, we had like a little office Christmas party deal. They're very socially distant with masks and sanitizers, the whole nine. And Michelle is the the lady that's retiring that I'm replacing. And she's wonderful. And she made a like chocolate bag of like every single kind of deliciousness that you can think of. Uh. And... My hat was going to go off to A, her for, for putting up with me and teaching me, but B, those who are very, very crafty in the baking arena. I'm talking uh, you've got, you're, you're spending the whole afternoon with your oven rolling and you got cookies and you got, in Ohio, it's Buckeyes, you know, and that. You know, oh man, if you can bake and you're like, especially Christmas time, mm, my hat goes off to you. Like the people that make the uh, the little reindeers out of, uh, you know, different you know, pretzels and marshmallows and stuff. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. 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 Very creative. Like it. I well, uh, chocolate covered raisins, man. Oh, see, I, I'm, I'm not a raisin okay. guy. I, I, really? I don't dislike many foods. I'm a food guy, but raisins, uh, I, I, I don't know. I'm just, man, man, a good chocolate covered raisin. 
Maybe that's an old man thing of me to like, but I mean, it's a deflated grape. I like grapes when they're not deflated, (laughs) you know? So anyways, uh, good stuff. Hey, I, speaking of grapes, this is really random. I heard on another podcast that I listened to that frozen grapes are the thing. And you kind of like you freeze your grapes and you can snack on them like as an ice cube and then when it falls enough and you get down to the grape, it's kind of like a, a treat and it gets, it's like a, you know, center filled like gusher. See, I would probably get too impatient for a frozen grape. I would just chomp on it and ruin my teeth. Yeah. Yeah. You're probably right. Anyway, that's a incredibly random, but Corey, you have the privilege to bring on our guest as you do almost every other weekend, every other week. So who we got? Well, folks, uh, this is an absolute hammer of an episode. If you have been around the swine show pig industry within the last 15 years or so, you've definitely heard of this gentleman. To my knowledge, he has been nominated for Swine Industry Beard of the Year. <laughs> he has also been involved in wait over cosmaker hold on we got a debate no no no. just nom just nominated just nominated cosmaker was nominated also okay i was not not sure why anyway this this gentleman uh has been slinging feed selling high dollar boars and making quite the impact on the show pig industry both inside and outside of the ring folks let me introduce you to mr ben mobile Corey, I'm back in my comfort zone. We are in the pig arena again with Mr. Ben Bobo. So this is good. Uh, not that I don't like the other species. Don't get me wrong. Been a little, been a little time for you, buddy. I know. And, and you know, I get away from it, and I get just as, ex- as excited to get back in the pig arena. So we're back and back in force because this outline is pretty stout, Corey, and I'm looking forward to it. So, Ben, thanks for taking time out of your incredibly busy schedule to get on Stock Talk. And uh, as always... Uh, you said you listened to a couple of them. So as you know, we kind of get started with a little bit of background about yourself and what you do now and how you got your start. Yep. Well, well, thanks, Trevor and, and Corey for having me on. Uh, I have been a have been a listener of, of Stock Talk for, for several, and I know you guys have we, – we've not been able to get connected. Um, there was an accident I had a couple years ago when actually we were going to do it in person, um, and we, we couldn't get it. But uh, so a little bit about our background – uh, from a farming standpoint, as well as personally, I, I grew up in central Illinois, um, the Lincoln area. Uh, went to school at Blackhawk East and Iowa State. Graduated from Iowa State in 2000. Um, and and out, of, out of college, um, went um, and worked for Excel, which would now be Cargill Foods. Um, and worked for them for several years. Moved all over the country. Actually lived in Denver, Salt Lake City, St. Louis. Enjoyed my time in the meat business um, and, and uh, enjoyed traveling and, and really um, seeing different parts of the country. Um, at that point, um, I left Cargill um, and went to work for Prairie State uh, there for about a year and a half um, and enjoyed that time. Got to get to know Brandon Ogle at that point and become really good friends with him um, and continued to, to be close friends with, with him and his family. Um, and then from there, we, 
I, I w- went back to work for Cargill um, and have been with Cargill um, ever since um, and, and, and had several different roles. I worked in the, the commercial poultry and swine uh, part of that business um, and have been um, in the show feed uh, branch or, or part of, of Cargill Animal Nutrition's business for the last eight years um, and, and enjoy that, uh, managing the Sunglow brand and working with that team. Um, it's, it's a very, um, very broad business um, that offers a lot of challenges, but also a lot of rewards. And, and quite honestly, it, it has allowed me to meet just a, a ton of great people um, in, the, in the livestock industry. Um, just a little bit about maybe our, our livestock uh, background and where I grew up at. So um, when I was a young kid, we had a small shorthorn cattle operation. And I showed shorthorn cattle, primarily um, purebred shorthorn heifers, handful of steers. And um, we did not have a show pig on the farm until I went to college. So I actually never showed a pig myself outside of our our county fair after uh, I graduated from high school, to be honest with you. Um, We didn't have any any pig background at all. Uh, My dad grew up raising cattle as well. And uh, we enjoyed that, um, had some success with that, actually showed up, you know, a, a reserve national champion, shorthorn heifer, uh, when I was younger and, and really enjoyed that. And quite honestly, had no intentions whatsoever to get involved in, in, in uh, the pig business or show pigs. So I went to Blackhawk um, and, and you guys know this as well as I do. Um, if, if you don't eat, breathe and sleep, Show pigs at Blackhawk, you're probably going to get ate up and spit out um, at Dan Hogue's program. And so I, I quickly adjusted and learned how to sort sort pigs. And, and I think more importantly, my passion grew for them. Um, I, I bought a few barras for my youngest sister, Emily, to show. And my younger brother, Matt, uh, I think Becca and I showed one year as well. And, and really just kind of blossomed from there. Um, and that's where we started in the in the, in the show pig uh, show pig world today well we've got about oh my wife tells me that that I always shoot low because I really don't want to count how many sows and gilts we have run around here but I'd say around 75 breeding age um, gilts and sows um, is what is what we've got currently mostly crosses a few Yorks and trying to really rebuild our Yorkshire program. Maybe took my focus off that a little bit in the last couple of years, but want to get back um, to a spot where I'm comfortable with that breed again. So that's where we're at. Um, and I would say we, we have uh, a similar market in the spring and fall. Well, we've, we built a very good trade in the Southwest and the, um, Louisiana and Georgia, Florida market as well. And then, of course, we've got a, a good trade in the spring um, in the Midwest. So that's a very quick and dirty about our, our my professional life and about uh, our, our show pig operation. Um, and I also do, <clears throat> excuse me, involved in our, our uh, grain farming operation as well as my dad um, and, and getting more involved with that as well. So I did not realize that you grew up showing cattle and I'm having a hard time visualizing Ben Bobo at the end of a halter, but I feel like uh, it's so interesting how many guests that we get on here that start completely opposite or somewhere totally different than where they're at currently. And uh, I think that just goes to show you that uh, just because 
you're a livestock person involved in a certain species doesn't mean you can't make the switch at some point in life. Uh, clearly, that's worked out for uh, the Bobble firm. Quick break in the action, folks. I know we've got a good one here. But let me tell you about Phantom Halters. We've been doing this for a couple weeks now, and if you haven't ordered your Phantom Halter yet, I don't know what you're doing. It's the ultimate cable halter on the market. It doesn't fray like others on the market. Phantom Halter does not irritate your animal, and it's easy to control. Rather, you're in your barn or in your ring. 100% correct, Trevor. You can use this halter both at home and in the show ring. With this style, there's no need to place a show halter over top of this halter. Isn't that a pain in the butt when you got to figure out how to slip your show halter off and on over top of your of your regular halter that you're going to pin with? Well, don't worry about that. With this style, there's no need. Just attach your choice of lead and hit the ring. For cattle, there are three sizes to choose from. No tools required. They have also developed two sheep and goat halter sizes that are available to you now. Go to phantomhalter.com to place your order. Use coupon code STOCKTALK and get a 5% discount on your next order. That's phantomhalter.com, folks. Back to the show. One of the big topics, Ben, that we want to get into here uh, to start is uh, the story of never before. Uh, I think a, a boar that's had as big of an impact on winners and um, generating sires as any we've seen in, in recent history. So let's, let's just start from the first time you make the mating decision for that, for, for never before his mom, and then just walk us through the entirety of that pig's life uh, and, until the day that he leaves uh, Bobo farms. Yeah. So never before was uh you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't didn't say a dream come true for any livestock enthusiast or, or livestock breeding operation. And not only not only because of his sell price, um, that to me that's trivial now. Um, and I say that not out of disrespect for who purchased him, but because the way he's generated. I mean, there's a lot of high dollar livestock in the this world. We've all been involved with those, and and sometimes they generate and are successful, and sometimes they aren't. Um, and and he he was. He was one that's that's uh, you know had a very very good run and I think going to continue to have a, a great run with his daughters. But I guess to talk a little bit about um, how he was created here, um, you know his mother was a show guilt. Um, she was shown by a family in our county, um, the Tibbses, and uh, had a little success. Won our county fair, was second in a good class at state fair, and, and quite honestly, we we bought her back and, and got her home and we're going to breed her. And I never. Let me rephrase that. In, in recent time, I have started to keep gilts and let them get home, get over their show pig bugs, melt down, and breed them to Pharaoh at 18 months. And I know that that probably isn't, <clears throat> generally speaking, um, the best um, or I guess most traditional way to breed, um, breed, breed livestock, but that works the best for our situation um, with where isolation set up. And we're really trying to keep a, uh, a line of defense there. So that's what we do. Um, to be honest with you, um, I had, I was, it was hard to get dirty secret uh, semen at the time. And I had not planned to breed her to dirty secret, nor did I plan to breed her for a spring litter to Pharaoh in 2018. <laughs> um, but I got the semen from SGI. The sow I planned to breed to dirty secret was not in heat. 
And I'm like, man, this is, you know, it was so hard to get from SGI at that point because the board had been on just an incredible run. And so I went to isolation and she was in heat. And so I bred her. Um, and, and again, you know, she probably hadn't had as many preferral vaccines as she needed. Um, but we took the risk because I didn't want to waste the semen. <laughs> and um, so we bred her to Farrell right at a year of age. Um, and uh, so anyway, we fast forward to, to January of 18. Um, she goes in the crate with, with a, you know, a set of sows and yields to Farrell at that, that point. Um, and she was one of those that, um, quite honestly, I walked in the morning of her due date. Um, she had ferret a litter of 10 pigs. She was up ready to eat. All 10 pigs are dry and alive and had nursed. And it was kind of like, wow, did this just happen? Like a guilt ferret um, on time um, without us having to assist her, was up ready to eat, had cleaned. Like everything just, just it, it started off really positive. Um, you know, so she raises 10 pigs. Couldn't, couldn't write a better script of how she was in the crate. Wean 10 pigs off of her, <clears throat> excuse me. And, and then, um, you know, I guess as we get them to the nursery stage and, um, you know, th th that would have been the first year that we had a live sale at the farm. So we focused that live sale to sell older pigs and what, when that group was. So we get on with our live sale. Um, and, and then, you know, that, that litter was always good. Um, you know, I, I guess I'm not one to, look at them on the sow or in the nursery and come home and tell my wife, Haley or girls, Hey, there, there's one in the nursery that's the best one ever. I just, there's so many things and so many factors that can go wrong from bearing house to nursery to chip barn that I, I've, I've learned to discipline myself to not get too excited because that disappointment of walking in a fern house or nursery and having a pig sick or dead, it's something that you live with and it's, it's hard to deal with when you get attached to one. So I do a health check twice a day or my wife does or the girls do. Um, and dad did when he was part of the operation and we'd make sure everything's good, but we try not to get ourselves, you know, emotionally attached um, to those pigs at that point. So I, I knew, I knew that litter was special. Um, and I was, I was just hoping that they would be kind of what, what they lived up to. Um, so we get them in the chip barn awesome litter. The gilts are, are, are a hair greener um, than, than the males. Um, we decided to keep all the gilts, so we honestly took them to another farm. Um, we sell all the barrows in the litter, um, and we keep two boars, which have been never before and classified. Um, there was a third boar in the litter um, that, that uh, Southern Gold bought, uh, Bill Roseboom bought um, online, that was quite honestly one that uh, we planned to buy back for a barra. And, and the sale was going well, and we let him go that night. And so um, he kept him as well. So there's actually three boars in that litter that were studded. Uh, done me dirty, I believe, is what is what Bill um, called that boar. Um, so there was never before and classified and, and done me dirty. Um, I, I would say from eight weeks to nine weeks in chip barn to – Fast forward to June 20-something when we sold that pair of boars. Um, I, I knew, honestly, I had something pretty special. Um, he was a very, very impressive baby pig. Um, he would have been one that if we'd have taken to a sale, um, he, he could have brought, you know, a very, very large sum of money, in my opinion, for people to cut him. We were offered a very large sum to cut him off the farm. And we, 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 uh, 
said no. My wife kind of thought I was crazy at that point because it was it was very good money. Um, but but thank God I did, quite honestly, because that would that would have cost us a lot. Um, <laughs> um, to, long, to be honest with long you, long game. Yeah. So um, you know we um, fed that pair of boars till till June, um, and, and um, at that point I knew that they were pretty special. Um, I knew that they had different pieces. I knew never before was, was an outlier in some areas. And, and, and quite honestly, he, he had a, he had a very good pedigree. Um, it was very current, was very popular and it was, it was a perfect storm. I mean, never before red seven, um, you know, if you go past that, it was a historic, uh, vantage point, um, Hillbilly Cadillac empire Sal. So a, a, a neat story that before I continue here about never force mom um so if if you go back in her pedigree um i believe it's 10 generations um sh- she would go back to the original yorkshire guild i purchased from mm-hmm. jim yazel at a real mccoy customer appreciation sale in washington courthouse ohio how about, how that? about that, Trevor? How about that? That's pretty cool. It's, it's a long time ago. Um, <laughs> she would have been a, um, she, I think she was a juvenile. So that oh, tells you how long ago that was. Anyways, Gosh. she was, she was a Yorkshire Gill I bought from Jimmy Azel. So 12 generations that we had raised here. It, it was, I was pretty proud of that. Um, obviously there was outside boars in that pedigree. Um, but, but from a South standpoint, Red Seven's mother, or excuse me, never before his mother, um, would be all of our, you know, what we'd built from the very beginning. Um, so we, we, uh, we're feeding those, that pair of boars and not sure how we're going to market them. Not sure if we want to take them to a sale because they're young. I mean, they weren't really going to be big enough to take to Expo or Louisville, quite honestly, from that perspective, or in my opinion, I didn't think they're going to be old enough and mature enough to take there. Um, and I, I, um, I had, kind of just talked about that pair of boars in general with a couple of friends that own boar studs. And they said, Hey, we'd like to see them. And I said, okay, you know, when you come to the CPS show in Springfield, just stop out. And I had taken a video of that boar um, that has been shared on Facebook. A lot of times that Ella's is driving them in the yard. And when I took that video, and I sent that to a couple people. It got forwarded um, to several more. And quite honestly, we had um, a, more than a couple more studs that wanted to come look at him. And so I, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to price him. I hadn't been in this situation before. And quite honestly, um, it, no one um, or very few people had really done a private auction off the farm. And so um, – it was, it was that Monday or Sunday, Monday night before Team Purebred started. I remember it was like it was yesterday. Blaine Evans was here and Nathan Day. Um, um, we, we, were, we were here talking about the boar. They were there. They were in town for CPS. And I, I said, Blaine, you know, what, how should we do this? Um, and, and so we came up with the idea of um, doing a private auction. And it was all based on people trusting me that, um, that we were going to do it and do it on, um, with the utmost uh, um, sincerity and utmost honesty. And that's how we came up with the idea. Um, and quite honestly, I, I was real, um, nervous where to start them at. 
And so one of the board studs started them for me um, at where they, you know, where they wanted to start the auction at. So that was set. So we did have to come up with that number and it was all via text. And I did it on that Friday afternoon. Um, and we had, you know, we had several more studs that were, um, that were bidding on him. Um, quite honestly, there were several over a hundred, um, on the board and, um, we got down to it and, you know, Ted Laird and the, the PBG crew bought him, um, upper hand was contending, um, on, on the board uh, or on the pair of boards. And, uh, I guess you could say that's kind of, it's ancient history. That's, that's kind of where it started. Hmm. Yeah. And it's it's just amazing. I mean, and we're going to dig into this later. Like, when do you know? Because there's so many times where you look at that litter and you get excited in the nursery, and, and it's that's usually when they die is when you get excited in the nursery. But absolutely. Uh, but it, then you break down, you know, the rest of it. Folks, it's cold outside. Do you need help building fence or doing chores so you can take some time off or maybe just go inside and warm up your toesies? Do you need help in the show barn or on sale day when these things are getting ready to be broke or pictured? Are you looking for new work opportunities yourself? Well, let me tell you, Ag Butler is a mobile app that connects farmers, ranchers, and agribusinesses with a network of local laborers. Their system allows you to find help right from your phone. In other words, It's Uber for agriculture labor. It's free to make a profile. The app is clean, easy to operate, and connects people to a network of high-quality labor. Ag Butler enables farm productivity one click at a time. Get signed up today. Visit agbutlerapp.org. That's A-G-B-U-T-L-E-R-A-P-P dot O-R-G. Or connect with them on social media with the at symbol Ag Butler app on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. That's Ag Butler. Thank you for being a sponsor of Stock Talk Podcast. Let's get back to Ben Bubble. I want to leave Never Before by himself for a little bit. We'll dig into him. Did the Barras do anything? And do you have some of the guilt still, uh, his litter mate guilts, now Sal's, in, in operation? What's the rest of the litter look like? Yep. Yep. So that's a great question, Trevor. Um, there was there was a litter mate Barra that went to a family in Missouri that actually uh, that, that got there got a bug and, and died. Um, the other litter mate Barra that I really liked it was a really really neat color blue one um, went to an Indiana family um, and got hurt so he didn't get showed. <laughs> so so I'm thinking man I've got this this pair of boars we've got a, a hurt Barra a Barra that died. And I've got three skinny litter mate gilts, um, to be very honest. Now, the, the three daughters, um, two of those have been major, major contributors. Uh, the blue one, um, which would be 30-7, um, would have, her first litter, she had varsity blues, which would have been the $40,000 pig. We sold the perfect timing last a year ago in 2019 that, that the Laird family bought. Um, and then she had a very good March litter and a very good summer litter, and we've got a boron feed out of her again. The belted litter mate, 30-9, um, had a pig um, last summer that would have been a class winner at Illinois, the Illinois Replacement Show, and then she had a breaking rules litter this summer um, that's maybe as good from top to bottom as we've had. In terms of where they're at in their maturity curve and the way they're feeding, um, and so – I would say those two litters 
or those two sows, much like their mother, are not as much front pastured looking kind as some we have, but their ability to breed, have pigs, milk, generate is just like their mother. And that's why I'm not sure that, and this this is going to sound plenty bold, but I'm not sure that we're never before is not going to have as big or bigger impact as in his daughters. And we've seen that already in our place um, to where they have, they have generated, you know, our, our first never before daughters really just had litters in, in June. Um, and, and those pigs are feeding incredible out of those sows. So I really think there's, we're going to continue to see that influence for a long, long time. So to answer your question, Trevor, um, obviously those, those two sows we have generated the litter mate barrows to never before were, I mean, no shows, quite honestly. Um, I, I guess something else of, of merit. So never before's mom only had three litters here. Um, we lost her tragically in the spring of 19. Um, she had, she had an infection, honestly. Um, Dr. Logue was here and we, and he, he we couldn't figure out what it was. And we, we pulled her out of general population and Medicaid or and we lost her. Um, and she was bred. Um, but, but so in her, um, three litters, she had a, in her second litter, she had a herd boar that Wintex bought and we kept a daughter. Um, there was actually no bears in that litter. There's only one male. And then in her third litter, which would be her final litter, um, she had Claire's bear that won Illinois state fair in, in 2019. She had never again, which was a boar that was at, um, um, at, uh, uh, Moyers. And then we kept three gilts out of that litter. Um, and the, the one daughter that fared this summer had a, uh, roughly $30,000 litter this summer. And there's a boar that, uh, um, um, Luke Lidner bought that, that he's going to keep at his house. So it's, um, you know, I, I think those, it, it's a dirty secrets had an unbelievable influence, but I think in, in what we've learned in our short term, um, lifetime of breeding livestock, both cattle and pigs is that everybody has the ability to use those great boars. But if you don't have those sows that can generate or you gotta have some luck, but if you can find those sows that generate and do it the right way, it is it is amazing how much success you can have if you can build around the right type of sow. Mm-hmm. And I know we've got this question maybe further down that I'll, I'll throw it to Corey after I get done with this, but that may be, in my opinion, that may be how we decide how the true impact of a sire. You know, people can buy semen and throw them in sows and get show pigs. I mean, that's that's why there's so many boar studs now. But it's when you see those same sow pedigrees come back around. I mean, let's look at some of the, the the dominant pedigrees now that have never before in it. And his mother that you've got, or, you know, or his sisters that you've got at your place. I mean, that may be how we we measure a sire's impact more so than maybe dollars of semen sales. I mean, <laughs> I guess it depends on who you ask, but you're, you're exactly right. When you can build around a female and keep them consistent, and and just fiery when it comes to selling them. I mean, that's that's huge. So I know Corey wanted to get to topic three, but that's that's something uh, that I think you could easily measure with. Well, and and I think uh, an interesting point you made, Ben, in regards to Never Before's impact is that you know you said his females will probably 
or in your opinion, likely have the biggest impact um, more so than he himself had. But if you think about the amount of, of never before sons uh, that the crew in Arlington, Illinois or Indiana, sorry, Arlington, Indiana has, has stockpiled. Um, obviously I think, uh, I think there's some faith that the boards are going to get it done too um, beyond him. So I think it's a really neat, uh, really neat story to, uh, to share. And I think probably, one that maybe not a lot of people have heard of. I, I do remember specifically um, being a, being around with an earshot of when never before was uh, selling in that that text bit off or whatever. Um, and it, I, I think you started a trend there <laughs> that uh, uh, some people gravitated towards. Um, but you know that's just such a unique position to be in. So really a. Uh, Really neat story, but oh wait, uh, but wait! I wanted to interject. What did the wife think okay. when you said, "Hey, we just sold this boar for this much money, and I'm glad we didn't cut him"? <laughs> <laughs> she was uh, so. So we were actually sitting with a group um, at, at in Springfield at the CPS show, and 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 I was so I was doing all this on my cell phone, right? Just texting and and talking with with uh, the boar studs and, and those involved and. And she knew, you know, I, I had, I'd kept her updated, but I, I got, it got pretty intense. So I was just kind of by myself and I told her, and obviously it was a very happy family moment. <laughs> she was very proud and excited. Um, and, and I did remind her um, in the spring that someone had offered a lot of money for that, that pig off the farm. And, and she, uh, again, kind of agreed with me that it was a good call. So, um, and you know, I, I want to say that the, the, the way we sold those boars was, was, a, was a unique way we thought to do it. Um, I will, I will continue to support our, our organizations that have boar shows and sales, um, as the opportunity presents it to us and we have the right pigs to go to them. Um, we didn't feel like these were big enough to go to those shows, but, but I do think we, we need to continue to, as an industry support, um, the NSO organization and the CPS organizations and, and our state four organizations that have these shows and sales. Because they they are also driving the boat when it comes to having several of our livestock shows, and without them, we can't sell baby pigs. So I do think it's important. Yes, yes, we want to sell them off the farm, but we also want to support those organizations when we can. I wasn't trying to bait you, Ben, just because I'm at the ABA, but I appreciate <laughs> you saying that. No, but it, no, but I, but I do, but I feel that way, Corey. And honestly, I well, congratulations on your new role, but. I, I wasn't I wasn't saying that because you were on, but I do think that's important, you know, to to it, utilize uh, different methods to to merchandise livestock. I think is important. Sure, sure. Now, um, that, that's that's something I think that uh, as an industry, um, I hope at least uh, the bigger picture we realize um, that there's there's lots of ways to sell them and market them, but. Uh, um, Fortunately, I think we're in a good place with our organizations now to be able to work together and make sure that uh, we are sustainable for the future and making sure that we can still have pig shows and sell baby pigs. So Absolutely. all things very valuable, but uh, let's uh, let's dive into the next topic. So we just talked about a, a board that's had a pretty dominant run here. Um, but when you think back to maybe some of the more dominant boards of their time, um, you know, back back when you were first getting into the industry, um, you know, what where what do you see some of those boards that were so iconic? Um, you, you kind of hinted at it earlier um, on the female side, but where 
where do you see some of those sires having having a big impact and and how do you truly know that that they are uh that iconic of a sire if you think back to maybe some of your your first ones uh that you were a part of or or starting to notice when you first got got into it yep yep so i I would say you know as a as a young pig breeder coming from the cattle world um in the cattle world in my opinion especially a shorthorn breed the maternal portion of that was always way bigger deal like cow families and this cow because you had the ability to flush them and so you could have so many full sibs or half sibs or three-quarter sibs that had that same cow in them um, and, and you could see the domination of that of that genetic line from that cow. So when, when I started in the pig deal, it's quite a bit different because, in my opinion, we started with Barras, and we wanted to show Barras. And, yes, yes, my sister showed some gilts and had some success. My daughters have showed a handful of gilts, but we've mostly focused on Barras here because, I honestly, that's what we like to feed. But um, – so, so I think when we started in the pig deal, I was, I was way more enamored by Barra shows and what sires were generating bears that won. I remember, you know, this was back in the day of Fatal. Like Fatal Attraction was an incredible bear sire. That was right when we got started kind of raising pigs. So we never, we maybe used it once or twice, but, but really we're just on the, um, you know, the very, we are on the backside of Fatal being a sire um, and we're just getting started. Um, so I guess, you know, as we, we, as we started to use boars and have, have some success and kind of see things to me, the, the, the first sire that I used at my house, that was a dominating Barris sire, but also left us with daughters. And so I guess I'm, I'm answering that question with a, um, an example, Corey, to be honest with you, because I think a, a, a sire's true impact is when they have the ability to do both, um, mm. That, that can sire show winners at the highest level, whether it's breeding gilts or, or market hogs, but also they can leave daughters that are invaluable to your herd from a, a production and from a generating perspective. I mean, the first board that did that for us was Best Man. Um, and, and Best Man was one that when we saw him at Wintex, he fit the kind of sows that we had at that time, in my opinion, visually. And we, we use him as much as possible. And, and those bears were were very, very high quality, and the percentage of pigs that fed out of those litters were good. And even more importantly, those sows were, um, they were good. And some of them were plenty exotic looking, um, but they still had enough maternal characteristics and could function. And, um, you know, that boar left us, um, you know, I, I, he, he was a, he was, he'll always be a legend in my mind. Um, and, and one that, uh, you know, really is, the, you know, the, the backbone of where our crossbred program's at today. Hmm. Yeah, it's. <laughs> I think if you were to ask ten people, there would be several different ways to measure a sire's impact. Uh, and honestly, it probably depends on a how many sows you have at home. B, are you focused more on on showing barrows or gilts or whatever? But all roads are leading back to the female side of things. I mean, there there are uh, pig factory, if you will. And, you know, when they're reliable, I think, you know, back to like the, the sugar daddy, uh, sow lines and how reliable those have been. And, you know, now we're seeing that with some of the never before daughters, like you're saying, and, uh, you know, it's, it always comes, kind of comes back to that one's mother or sisters or so on and so forth. Um, but yeah, that's, that's good stuff. 
So we're going to take a different avenue here. Uh, and this is something that that honestly has been, I don't want to say weighing on me, but always on my mind uh, when I talk to several of these guests that we've had the, the privilege to, to speak with. And, and Ben, I've loved watching your girls grow up uh, in the show ring because they're there are hardly any others that are that intense. And I, I just love watching them drive Barras and, and Gilts when they get the chance. So that drives the question. It's not uncommon to hear that uh, that some kids get a little burnout and they get success early and, you know, the, the, the time goes on and they don't finish out their show careers. And, and like I said, yours are obviously highly competitive in the show ring and have that fire. We see on social media how interactive they are. Uh, with your operation. So the question is, how do you keep the fire in them, even when you're not at the show? Uh, and maybe what's some parenting advice to keep them from getting burnt out like we see from the outside looking in there at the at the Bubble family? <clears throat> that's, a, that's a great question, uh, Trevor. And, and um, you know, I, I guess as, as I think about it, um, I, don't, I don't know that I can – I'm, I'm not confident that I can, uh, you know, have experienced it yet because, you know, with, with my girls are Ellis 14, Claire's 11 and Alice just turned six this month. So we're, we're still at the front end of our show career. Um, but yes, I started young. Um, Alex, will, will, we're going to show, she's going to try and show this winner a little bit if we get the chance to. So, you know, I, I think a couple different ways that I look at it. Um, our girls love to show pigs there. There's no doubt we've, we've, we've made it a priority for them to work hard and, and they've been warranted with some big success and uh, very proud of them and, and their work ethic and their ability to, um, to function in, in that life and, and still have the right type of um, attitude and the right type of personality um, I think is very, very important. Um, but, but I would say that, that one thing we do is that our girls also love sports. Um, and and uh, for those that have been around our girls, they're, they're socially, um, they're, I guess they're, they're very comfortable in a social setting in terms of talking to adults and the people and being around people. So they like to be involved in everything. And what, what I've always told them is, hey, you know, we, we love volleyball. We love basketball. Let's focus on that. Like we have taken a stance um, that we're going to feed very hard from February to August, then we're going to take a break. Um, and, and, and yes, we do have pigs on feed now because I was going to, you know, this was one time in our sports career where we could maybe go to Denver. And so we got in and um, hopefully we'll get to show them some type of alternative show this winter. But what, what I'm saying is, is that I think part of the reason our girls are not burned out is because we set a precedence that from now to now is going to be pigs. And then when you guys go back to school, um, yes, I still want you to help at, a, at, our, at our show pig operation and help in the fern house, and breed sows, and do all the daily functions of life that come with that business. Um, but I also want you to be a high school girl. I want you to be a grade school girl. I want you to participate in um, other things outside of showing livestock. And I, I think that's kept us very centered in our approach and helped us to stay very focused when it's time um, to show and, and not to, not to call out people that show year round because if they can function in that world, that's great. But I think part of burnout with girls is that parents get burned out as well. And families get burned out. Yep. And when the family's burned out, 
it trickles to the, the to the kids being burned out. And I think that's when probably the fun stops and it becomes a job and a routine and not a fun hobby. So I, I know that's maybe a little more um, not direct answer than what you're looking for, Trevor, because I think it's different with every kid and different with every family. My personal experience has been that we give our girls a break um, to participate in other activities because I want them to be well-rounded. And I, it also gives us a break um, from the daily grind. And I, I think that really keeps it fresh when we do have pigs on feed. Yeah. And so, and what you said is pretty important too, really. I mean, their, their show career is not over. So you're, you're on the, the first half, if you will. Uh, we are. Yep. And, and that's exciting in the same sense, but it's also, you know, a testament that you can tell, even if you did not know who the Bobo family was, what you can tell is those kids like to do it. Um, and, and I, with, I've seen it a couple times before where the, the people who like it the most is mom and dad. And then the, the kid is, is just a showman. Well, that's not yes. going to last long. If it does, it, it's just pure torture for the kid. Uh, and and I, I I advise against it. I'm not close to being a parent yet. Uh, don't plan to be for a couple years. But man, I, I at least know that much. And um, and I'm not saying, hey, if if you know, teenagers can be teenagers, <laughs> and some some days are different than others. But but there there is a very we don't work seven days a week. We you know we take the as as adults we take a weekend off. We we do something fun and and then work hard. Same thing as kids. And and I think that sports are still important. Uh, heck, I thought I was going to be an NFL athlete. Turns out five eight doesn't work very well, um, <laughs> but it, it's true. If if you have something fun to do that take your mind off of it, you can work just as hard uh, in the quote unquote show season. But Corey, I cut you off. What were you saying? You're good. Um, though I have the the height and probably sized uh, intangibles of an NFL athlete, I, I do not have the joint work to hold up. So, <laughs> Corey was once asked on Twitter, "Man." He does a really good job with some logos. Sorry, Corey, but I know a guy that does it a little bit better. Tarbell Marketing and Design is the guy. Jace does amazing things. Not only does he create logos, but he also does a marketing campaign for whatever you need, and he is livestock savvy. How about that? If you mention Stock Talk Podcast, you'll get a 15% off if you're a first-time customer. Just go to choosetmd.com and inquire about any marketing needs that you may have with your operation. Tarbell Marketing and Design, folks, I'm telling you, you won't regret it, and you'll use him from now until eternity. Tarbell Marketing and Design, go to choosetmd.com. Let's get back at it with Mr. Bobo. But Ben, ben my, my question to you was, and maybe more open-ended, I guess, at this point, but uh, have the girls expressed any interest in other species possibly in the future so Corey, i don't know if you know my girls very well but if they if they possibly paid you um under the table to say that on here then i'll have my reckoning with them later um <laughs> no but in all, in all in all fairness that's a, that's a great question and it's almost like i knew one of you guys were going to say that to me so then when the girls listen to this 
they're going to be on pins and needles to hear my answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, yes, they have. Like. Um, you know, they, they they look back at old shorthorn countries and pictures of me and my siblings showing cattle, right? So they they are what dad we want the opportunity to show cattle um they they have been very fortunate to meet a lot of great families and kids that show different species and i think that's one of the the reasons that they stay hungry as well is because you know when we go to shows yes we we want to be very competitive don't get me wrong i'm a very competitive person and our girls work extremely hard um but also part of the reason we do it is so we can meet other families that are from different areas and we can meet families that have different backgrounds in terms of livestock and farming operations and ag experiences, because it, that makes us <clears throat> as people and our kids just, just more well-rounded and it's going to help them long-term in their life. So they have met a lot of good people, my girls, and especially my two younger ones, Ella's probably a little old for this. I mean, on a weekly basis, we've got, um, clipping stands and we've got halters that they borrowed from friends and we pretend like we're showing some other species at least once a week in the yard or in the show barn. I mean, that's just, that's a, that's normal for me. Um, have I made that leap of faith yet to answer that question? I have not. Um, never say never. Um, when the timing's right, we'll perhaps look into it. I'll just leave it at that, Corey. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, I, uh, Hopefully didn't break your uh, your Christmas budget. Maybe you have to uh, invest. <laughs> too in close. Some... Too close to Christmas. Well, it, it'll be 20, 2021. I don't want any new ventures in twenty twenty. <laughs> yeah, there, there you go. That's probably good. Good outlook. Uh, no, I just it's interesting because I think with the um, you know you see a lot of kids that maybe do get burnout early on. I could think of a couple families that had success really early in one particular species. And then they switch, they go to another species. They still obviously are showing um, what the, what they did before, but you know, you see them make the switch and then all of a sudden now they're hungry for it again. Um, and maybe kind of keeping the fire lit. Um, I think in a lot of ways too has become because we live in an industry now where in the show ring, you can be multi-species and, uh, and still have success and, and enjoy uh, a lot of crossover opportunities. I know, especially in the pig ring, it seems like anymore, um, you know, there's, there's folks branching out and trying sheep and goats or, or showing some heifers or steers or anything like that. So it's kind of neat to, to just kind of see how people navigate the water of, um, you know, success early on and, and kind of where things could go in the future, but Absolutely. very good stuff. Well, so Trevor, are you going to lead us into, uh, into the breakdown? That's where I was headed. Of course, the breakdown brought to you by Brad Howe Ford in Kokomo, Indiana. They have award-winning customer service. Corey experienced it firsthand. If you need that brand new Christmas vehicle, you go to Brad Howe Ford to get it. They're livestock-minded folks. Go support them because they support us. So, Ben, this year in the break or this episode in the breakdown is something uh, that needs to be talked about, and I'm curious to get your input. Uh, uh, just hearing about your program. We're going to break down the purebred influence in crossbred programs. Is the F1 thing a thing of the past or just implementing purebreds in general to crossbred sows? Where do we go from here? Is it still 
able to be used? What's your thoughts? Ooh, man, that's a, <clears throat> so, um, I, I would say a couple, a couple different thoughts I have. Um, and I, and I would, I would, I would tee it up this way to you, Trevor. I, I think that's a, a great question. And, a, and a, honestly, it'd be a great discussion to have amongst young, old, middle of the road pig breeders, um, and, and discuss thoughts on that because I, I, I do believe that there is a, very big place for purebred livestock. Um, and, and I know that um, there are people that make their living and then have a strong passion around making purebred livestock better. And specifically as it relates to this topic, um, you know, the purebred swine industry is, is very important. Um, and, and, you know, I think um, I, I, have, I have gone down that road with our program and I would tell you it was a big mistake and the reason I'll say that is, is because I think I did it the wrong way. When, when we had 10 to 15 or almost 20 Yorkshire sows, I experimented with crossbred boars and bred those crossbred boars to Yorkshire sows to make blue daughters or, and, and do that. And the reason I say it was a mistake is because I didn't utilize the Yorkshire um, sows that I had here in the right way. I should have continued to, to breed them to Yorkshire boars and make better purebred livestock. And I didn't do that. And then all of a sudden, you know, those sows have aged out and um, you know, I, I haven't used Yorkshire boars enough on them. And, and quite honestly, that's probably where I lost my passion uh, for a little bit on the Yorkshire deal because I just, I maybe went the wrong direction. So I, I think if, if, if a person um, could, could find the right purebred boar, to use on their crossbred sows, um, I, I do think there's some merit to that. Um, the, the, the two things I would tell you is you better have a lot of patience um, because, um, in my opinion, those first-generation barrows uh, may not be as competitive in a crossbred market hog setting um, at, at the highest level. They'll still be good pigs, and I think there's some merit with those daughters, um, you know, and I think, I think it could help. Um, I'm not going to tell you that um, people should do it because they think that's going to make their livestock better. I think they should do it if they believe in the blower and they believe in the sow and they think that they can make better livestock in general. Um, it is the way I look at it. Um, so I'm not going to tell you I'm going to be the first one to experiment with it. I know that we've got some great organizations that are, um, you know, making shows for those pigs to show at, which is, is encouraging to those that want to go down that path. Uh, but I'm going to keep making my purebreds purebred and use the boars I want to on my crossbred program. I think that's a very fair uh, analysis. I, I can speak um, not as a, as a crossbred pig breeder, but if I'm trying to compete at the highest level, I think – um, being realistic in what it's going to take to get there. Um, you know, that, that rule of patience is going to be, uh, one to stick very closely to if this is an option you want to take. And I can understand, um, whether it be, um, you know, trying to maybe increase some, some litter sizes or mothering ability or anything like that. Um, I suppose that, you know, influencing, um, 
you know, some purebreds back into a crossbred program might be a useful tool. Um, but I would also say that you're probably setting yourself back a few generations by doing that. Uh, if you have the patience, um, you know, to do it, then awesome. But uh, I, I think patience is a, is a key there, Corey, because I yep. think if you have the patience and foresight to do that, and, and and quite honestly, I think you have to look at it from a return standpoint in your operation. I mean, when you look at the bottom line and you know you've got to generate this amount of money to pay those bills or, or pay an operating loan or what, whatever it is you, you have to generate, um, and you, you go and use a Yorkshire or Hampshire boar or, or any purebred boar on your crossbred sows, and maybe those those first-generation market hogs or, or baby prospects are not as appealing to the public, you have to be able to work through that. And maybe long-term, you'll be in a better spot with those sows you generate from that. I'm not saying it can't be done, but I, I think to, to say I'm going to do that, <clears throat> I think you need to really study your genetic base and where you're at from a consistency and production standpoint, and then kind of let that lead you to where you want to go, if that makes sense. Kind of, kind of have a long-term vision of where, where, what the endpoint goal is before you truly say this is a good idea. Absolutely. And you know what was interesting uh, with the NSR doing? Uh, you know, a couple years ago they they implemented the Hampshireshire Cross Division, and, and now I think it's. Uh, they're they're kind of evolving that into you know the purebred uh, influence division that they have now, which really it's kind of interesting to you know especially that first year at Expo where you could sit in the middle uh, and watch that class you know those those three classes or whatever that first year and then turn around and watch the actual crossbred show they look different and you can tell like. Hey, that one has Yorkshire characteristics, or that one's a little Hampshire eared. Like that's that's what purebreds are known for are their characteristics, and that's part of the patient part, I guess. Is that first generation is kind of the the huge test, and then you pull those daughters from there and, and continue um, that progress. And um, it's fun to watch if you've got the patience to do it. But uh, if I have ten sows, I'm not so sure, and they're all crossbred. I don't think that's enough to play with and experiment because uh, every single one of them counts uh, in that regard. So interesting thoughts there. Thanks, Brad Hal Ford, for sponsoring our breakdown segment. Ladies and gentlemen, we have to pause one more time. Again, we could not have done what we've done with Stock Talk Podcast if it wasn't for our great friends at Legacy Livestock Imaging. That's right. Charles and Heidi Anderson are still bringing the heat to you week in, week out with incredible images, whether that be on the farm, in the show ring, at your home, your event, whatever it is, Legacy Livestock Imaging does it all. Folks, they have corporate accounts, they have ranchers, they have business people. It does not matter who you are. They can take incredible pictures to capture those memories and help tell those stories through photography. If you aren't interested in getting their business to come help you out with their picture taking abilities, why don't you just go on there and order a nice Christmas gift for a family member or friend, or even yourself. If you're feeling selfish, go on to legacylivestockimaging.com. Go to the galleries. There's incredible prints that you can order there. Thankful for our folks at legacy livestock. Congratulations on a successful 2020 looking forward to 2021. Let's get back to the show. 
Uh, we're nearing the end, and uh, as you know, Ben, at the end of, of the episode here in Season 2, uh, we ask a, a tough question for some, and, it, and in some it gets pretty passionate. So what are some of the lessons you've learned in the stock show industry? It's a tough one, and I knew I knew you guys would ask this, and um, I've thought about it. Um, you know, I've thought about that question a lot. Like, what it what the livestock industry has has taught me, and taught our family, and 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 really just taught um, you know our operation from a, a livestock standpoint. And I think you know, and maybe this is a, as as relevant um, at this point in the year or in the time we're at as anything, but the livestock industry has taught me how to adapt to change. And not only has it taught me how to adapt to change, but also how to take the good with the bad and the ugly. Um, because we all know that, that wake up every day and, and are involved in the livestock industry and, and raise show animals, you're going to have more disappointment than you're going to have success. Um, and, and if you're able to adapt to that and take that head on and make sure that you can <clears throat> deal with the punches and continue to evolve from that, um, you could be successful in that. I mean, that's one thing that I, I definitely have learned from it. Um, I think working for a corporate company has, has helped me as well adapt to change and understand how change is, is ever evolving and you're going to continue. Um, you know, I, th I think another thing that um, the, the stock show industry has taught me, and I really think this stems from going to Blackhawk and going to Iowa State and, and uh, being mentored by Dan Hogue at Blackhawk and, and Mark Hogue at Iowa State. And some of the relationships I've built over the years um, is that um, your circle of friends and your circle of influence you have in the livestock industry will mold you and build you to who you want to be and, and who you are today. Um, and, and I think it's very important to step out of your comfort zone and meet those people that you look up to or those people that you want to learn more about or those people that quite simply you have respect for, um, that, that live their lives the right way, that have the right type of integrity and the right, <clears throat> the right morals that you want to instill in your life or instill in your family. So, that's one thing um, as well that the, the stock show industry has taught me is that find a good group of friends, stick with them and learn from them. And although you don't talk to them, um, you know, as often sometimes as you want to, um, you still keep uh, what you learn from them and what they learn from you. And you can build off that as you, as you continue to evolve. Um, and I guess lastly, I would, I would tell you, and you know, I, I guess I like to answer, questions with threes um and you know the third one it, it that it's taught me is just stay humble and hustle um and it is a, it is a is a tough business it's very competitive it is it is incredibly fast moving and it is it is something that if if you think about you know trevor i um you know you think about when you showed barras at ohio state for i remember judging you and your sister in showmanship um um, several years ago, obviously, and it reminded me when I when I saw your your background there of your banner uh, for being successful in showmanship. But if you think about what the depth of quality was then, now there were some good bears. Don't get me wrong; your family showed some, and there were several there. Think about how much that's evolved 
in just 10 to 12 years uh-huh. and how much it's going to continue to evolve. So if you're not willing to adapt to change, stay humble with what you're raising and be able to look yourself in the mirror and understand how you need to change and adapt to be competitive and just make better livestock. Um, if you're not willing to do that, then you can get ate up and spit out very fastly. So I tell my girls every day when we come in the barn at night, we're going to stay humble. We're going to hustle. Whether we had a good summer or a bad summer, or a bad weekend jackpot or a good weekend, there is always someone out there that's going to work just as hard as you. So if you let your guard down and anything you do in this world, then someone's there to, to pick up that pace. So um, that, I guess those are, you know, I maybe got a little deep there and there's, a, you know, some things that I've learned um, from the livestock industry. And quite honestly, um, I learned a lot from my dad and from my, my family, from a, from a work ethic standpoint. And, you know, although dad's not involved on a, on a day-to-day um, uh, portion of the, of our show pig industry, you know, we, we do grain farm with him and, and, you know, he was one that, that taught me with livestock and with stock showing, <clears throat> it is a 365-day-a-year project. And if you want to um, – if you're not willing to sacrifice that for those animals, then you're probably in the wrong business. So, yeah. I, you know, the sacrifice that we all give and we all learn from the industry, I think, can involve um, into just making – um, better families and, and better kids. So, um, you know, I, I've obviously been involved in it my whole life in different facets. Um, never would have dreamed um, that I would be 42 and live in central Illinois and um, have, you know, nearly 80 sows and gilts when I was, when I was a, a freshman at Blackhawk, quite honestly, or even a senior in high school. You know, I thought I was going to have 150 shorthorn cows and um, raise national champions for a living. So it, uh, it's amazing how it changes. And uh, again, adapting to that change and, and being able to um, evolve, I think is very, very important. Absolutely. Yeah. 2020 is the year of adapting and overcoming. Uh, I think people had to learn that if they didn't, they just didn't show any livestock this year. So uh, man, good thoughts. We really appreciate you jumping on. And uh, yeah, I kind of forgot about the the, the injury. Uh, I have, that would have been a good year ago. We tried to get you on there, but glad we could get you on. And uh, Merry Christmas to you and your family. And hope uh, 2021 is uh, better yet than, than what 2020 was. Absolutely. Thanks, Trevor. Thanks, Corey, for having me. I enjoy it. Appreciate what you guys are doing for the livestock industry and helping educate our youth. Thanks, Ben. Appreciate your time. Take care and good luck this fairing season. Thanks, guys. Well, we finally got him on. And I actually, when he mentioned that in his uh, the beginning there, he had an injury and we wanted to get him scheduled and uh, finally got him on. So uh, really appreciated him coming on and telling that story about never before. I Those stories are my favorites. Doesn't matter what species. Uh, but when you talk about from preconception, I mean, it almost didn't even happen. Uh, But but Bubbles, great mind in the show pig industry, uh, done a lot for it. So that was a good one. No, real good. I wish I wish we could have dug into uh, the story of Capone, which was a Yorkshire (sighs) boy that they bred. Uh, I believe he was he was like the their very first like home run. He was a fifty thousand dollar boar at the Southwest Type Conference. I. Yeah, I think we were it. talking before. 
20, 2011, 2012, something like that. But, um, but you know, you think about that, you know, that being kind of the first one that they really cracked off uh, at a, at a show and an event and stuff like that. So it's pretty neat just to think back um, on some of that stuff and, and that, that, that story of never before, but just Ben's genuine insight of, um, you know, some of the topics we talked about are, uh, I think, um, very, very good. And, and I hope that anybody that's listened, um, feels enlightened that's by, right. uh, by Ben's comments. Yep. Got pretty deep there at the end, but you know, that question brings out a lot, a lot of thought. And you, when you don't think about what the, the industry has taught you, it, you know, you get a little, a little bit more deep than what you think. And I appreciate everything he said because it's all extremely true. Uh, just, well, when you have industry leaders like Ben, um, you know, and you ask them those questions, it really shows who they are as a, as a person. Yep. More so than that's the guy that, that runs Sunglow pretty much. So Right. Yeah. Um, or, or, you know, or, the, or, or, you know, the bread never before or, or whatever. You yeah. Know, his daughters went, went a lot of shows. So it's, uh, it is nice just to kind of, um, talk to these folks and get their actual personal uh, take on life and stuff like that. Pretty cool. Yeah. But with that, Corey Edge got another really, really good episode out there for the wonderful Stock Talk Nation. And you guys know we couldn't do this without you. We love each and every one of you. Stay tuned for next week.